and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and love from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, staying in his lane for the time being, Steel. And I'm Jade, let's steal an OT3, Rose. And in today's episode, we're continuing on a mini-series within a series of sorts. <laughs> we're looking at aspects of the queer community that aren't usually at the forefront of discussions with a topic that's actually very close to my heart, uh, polyamory. We'll get on to discussion in a bit about the prevalence of polyamory and its intersection with the queer community in a bit. Um, but first, in course, in tackling this topic, it would have been kind of remiss to just have Hamish and I on the episode. So to that end, we've invited somebody to join us. Please welcome to the podcast. Hello, I am Sophie. I have way too many partners, last name redacted. <laughs> Uh, Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, as this is your first time here on Box Not Included, thought we'd do a little bit of intro chat, uh, confirm like pronouns, any labels you wish to share, who you are, what you do, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Uh, so I am a trans girl. I use she, her, her pronouns. Um, let me think. I do. I do a couple podcasts. I do the Polyam Radio podcast, which is all about polyamory relationship advice and that sort of thing. Uh, I also do, how do you want to say, um, a, a new podcast, brand new. Uh, it's called Dungeons and Queers, and it is an all queer, all trans D&D sesh. And that is awesome. I am DMing for that. And okay. it is just a blast. Um, but beyond that, you know, I'm, I'm relatively boring. Uh, I'm a biochemist slash cell biologist and, uh, I'm in my last semester at university and, uh, I date a lot and a lot of people and have a lot of relationships and I'm excited to talk about it. Oh, we're excited to talk about it as well. Um, so now the three of us have kind of gotten to know each other a little better. Uh, but before we get on to the into the main topic, we're going to do a little bit of a catch up and a geek out. Started with Hamish. Hi. Uh, yeah, hello. Yes. <laughs> um, once again, our, our guest um, our guest wanting has led to some strange technical issues. That led the, we're, so if we're we sound talking stilted, a stilted, that's why um, due to some uncomfortable echoes. Um, but anyway, yes, I. Uh, I went to, when I went to America last year. I picked up a bunch of um, comics at Small Press Expo, um, and now I'm poor, so I'm <laughs> trying to not buy things. So I'm looking at the things I already own, and all the books I've not actually read, and all the games I've not played. So uh, I um, finally read a book I bought um, just because I like the cover uh, called Taproot uh, by Kizzy Young. Um, it's a graphic novel, and it's about gays and ghosts. And Love it. If anyone knows the stuff I do, then that's very much up my street. Um, it's really, really cute. It's also about gardening, the three Gs. Um, so <laughs> there's a there's a uh, gardener who's a bit of a necromancer um, and has the ability to make dead plants come back to life. Um, but he also sees ghosts, and one of the ghosts is in love with him. Um, and it's very, very sweet, and uh, it's also very small of a story. 
um, but like hints to one of the things I like about stories of ghosts and is finding out what this story's like laws are and like the rules of their afterlife and stuff. Um, and it does some few, a few things that I've not seen done before. Um, and also leans very heavily in certain like tropes and stuff. Um, but I'd never seen it before when I was in America and I've seen it pop up in comic book shops and I really like it. So if you like the sound of that, um, tap root, it's, um, very, very cute. Oh, that does sound interesting. I like that. Um, my geek out topic as it were, uh, is a tabletop system that is new to me. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Mike, is going to be GMing a Starfinder one-shot for another friend of ours' birthday in May. But because of scheduling and things like that, we've all been building our characters. For people who don't know, Starfinder is basically D&D in space. Uh, it uses a lot of the same sort of tropes, and it's sort of a hack of the Pathfinder system, which people may be aware of reputation-wise, if even if they've not sort of directly encountered it. It is as number crunchy as you have heard. Mm. Rolling my character, so many numbers, so many numbers. Uh, but I'm super excited. We are playing a crew of space pirates because, yes. Hmm. And bar one token human man, we're all ladies hmm. in this in this crew. And I am playing uh, the ace pilot slash hacker glitch who is a yosoki and yosoki are rat people <laughs> and um yosoki is in a relationship with the ship's captain svetra who is a very tall lizard lady and i found out when i was buying my equipment that i could have a jetpack so mm -hmm. i'm going to be playing a smart mouthed ace pilot hacker rat person with a jetpack so really <laughs> i feel like i'm living my best life <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'll be in a relationship with two awesome ladies with an extreme height difference. So mm. really, goals. <laughs> That's a bit um, uh, Starship Iris. Have you heard that podcast? Um, no, but I've heard of it. Oh, Things okay, yeah. It's, it, it's very good and very queer. Mm. Sounds excellent. Um, but Sophie, what what have you? Uh, what are you geeking out at the moment? Uh, I'm geeking out. Actually, I. I'm geeking out about two things real quick. One, because I have to mention this like contractually because Hamish said the word gay ghost. Um, <laughs> you know, Hamish, you might not remember this, but I'm guessing maybe Jade does. Uh, do you remember the whole Danny Phantom is trans thing from a few years ago? That was <laughs> yes, going on yes I do. No, I do. I do remember it. Okay. <laughs> that was my roommate that started that. Uh, like. <laughs> I, yeah, that was, um, they go by Gail now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was my, that was my roommate. Nice. So I'm not famous, but I'm famous adjacent. And I just had to mention <laughs> that because you said the word gay ghost and nice. I'm obligated. Um, no, but, um, you know, I, my geek out is, um, I'm, for those of you that couldn't tell, I'm an American and, I'm very preoccupied with the rise of fascism in America. It's mm -hmm. a huge problem, and I'm part of a local Antifa group. I'm part of um, a bunch of, uh, how do you want to say, 
you know, online groups trying to organize leftist people and stuff like that and, and, and try to, um, fight this basically. And there was an excerpt from a book I was reading this morning that was actually about polyamory. Uh, it's called The Ethical Slut and it's by, um, Oh, I just started reading it and I can't remember the authors, but it's it's hugely famous. Um, so just Google it, The Ethical Slut. And this is from page 11 of the third edition. And it's just a little paragraph that I want to read because I think it uh, keys into our topic today very well. Mm-hmm. So here it goes. My reading is not reading out loud is not my strong suit. In his lectures to young communists in Germany during the rise of Hitler and the Nazis, psychologist Wilhelm Reich theorized that the suppression of sexuality was essential to an authoritarian government. Without the imposition of antisexual morality, he believed people would be free from shame and would trust their own sense of right and wrong. They would be unlikely to march to war against their wishes or to operate death camps. Mm. And I just think that's very topical, frankly. I yeah. I, mm. I think it's beautifully written. But, mm. um, you know, I when we're talking about uh, things like polyamory and stigma and stuff like that today, um, I think that there's this emphasis of saying it in kind of a hippy-dippy way of being like, live your truth and know thyself and everything. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think that... When we talk about polyamory, we're talking about trying to break away from the social norm and what we've been taught relationships look like and trying to embrace what works best for you. And Mm. uh, for those people that are willing to do that, even if they then discover that the, you know, monogamy works better for them, uh, I think they're, how do you want to say, perhaps better off. Uh, having had questioned that and having had challenged the mold. Uh, So that's my personal opinion on it. I'm not going to be trying to sell anybody on polyamory today. (laughs) I think it's great. It works well for me. But, um, you know, I I think certainly people should question. And that's, you know, that's all I would ever ask of anybody. Yeah. Um, I just want to say before we get into the actual topic that um, I know the, the rise of fascism in America is very public and uh uh we see that a lot discussed but i think sometimes people in europe and the uk can forget that it's happening here as well yeah very much so. and use kind of well at least it's not like an america as a way to blind themselves to, or distance themselves yeah. from it so um it's very relevant here as well um but yeah you so if you were talking about uh polyamory i've mentioned on the podcast before that I'm a polyam but for people that maybe don't know and given that this is sort of uh, your, very much your wheelhouse uh, given uh, one of your podcasts would you mind explaining what polyamory is to any listeners who don't know or perhaps aren't overly familiar with it and any terms that might come up in our discussion that people might not know yeah sure uh you know this is this is a little difficult 
uh, because it's such a big topic, right? I have a whole podcast that is mm-hmm. just about polyamory and defining it and exploring it and everything. But basically, at the root of what polyamory is, it is having relationships whereby monogamy is not the, uh, how do you want to say, um, the rule. I don't even want to say it's not the norm because there have been times in my life where I have been polyamorous and just happened to only have one partner at the time because, you know, there was nobody else in my life that I was in a relationship with. It doesn't necessarily mean the act of having more than one partner. It more means, um, how do you want to say, engaging in non-monogamy. Um, you know, polyamory, it's a mix of uh, Latin and Greek roots, meaning like many and love, uh, poly being Greek, amory being Latin, I believe. Um And uh, it basically involves in, or I should say, it is basically defined by the characteristic of experiencing romantic love for multiple people at a time, or at least embracing the potential to engage in romantic love with multiple people at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the terms that might come up uh, is... um, I'll just try to breeze through a couple of them here. One of them is metamor. That's uh, a partner of a partner who you are not necessarily in a relationship with. So let's say I'm dating John and John is dating Kyle, but I'm not dating Kyle. Kyle is my metamor. Um, If Kyle and I were dating, then Kyle wouldn't be my metamor. We would be partners. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's also something called relationship anarchy. Uh, some people in polyamory have what I'm going to call like a tiered hierarchy. So they have their primary partner and that partner is the most important to them and they get the most time and consideration uh, and stuff like that. That person is typically a spouse a lot of times. Uh, and then they have like a secondary partner who's number two on the list or whatever. Um, and, uh, then maybe a third partner or a fourth partner or whatever. And it's very tiered, and, and there's this aspect of who's most important and everything. And that structure, at least for me, doesn't quite seem to work right. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of people being more or less important, so I engage in something called relationship anarchy. I have a fiancé. In about a year, I will have a spouse, and they are not what I'm going to call the most important to me. Uh, We don't deal in levels of importance. Relationships, you know, all people and all love is precious, and we try to treat them all equally. Certainly my fiancé and me are closer than some of my other partners just because we've been together longer. We've been together for over six years. Um, (laughs) High school sweethearts. We both (laughs) wound up trans. Uh, But, you know... There's not this necessity of I have to make sure that everyone knows that this person is more important than other people. Because think about it. If you're pretty low on the totem pole, if you're like fifth or sixth down there, you're like, I'm not very important, am I? And that kind of sucks. And maybe you want to become more important. But then you're like duking it out with other people trying to work your way up. And it just gets competitive and ugly. Uh, So I engage in relationship anarchy whereby 
Basically, relationships are allowed to be what they're going to be. There's not real strict rules or anything. And, um, you know, there, there's a whole lot more to it. We did a whole episode on it. But just if at some point I mentioned relationship anarchy, that's what I'm talking about. Um, those are the only two really important terms that I can think of right now to define. There might be more as we go. Uh, so, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I suppose as we move forward, and this sort of will lead into sort of our more general discussion about polyamory and how it's viewed in the public consciousness and what it isn't and things like that, you know, nice small topic. Um, but as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is sort of part of our mini series on identities under the sort of big queer quilt that maybe don't get discussed a lot. And I wanted to sort of stay and we can discuss this a little bit that being polyamorous we aren't saying that the act of that makes you queer or is itself a queer identity but i know for a lot of queer people it's an essential part of who they are obviously it's possible to be straight and cis and poly polyam sorry but it isn't like it's yeah i'm just trying to make a point of not equating the two the venn diagram is like it's not a total circle but there's just nearly every polyam person i know is some flavor of queer so yeah not all queer people are poly and not all polyamorous people are queer Mm -hmm. but certainly a lot of them are Mm -hmm. yeah i I also just want to mention mm, quick if i can because i forgot to um when you're reading books about polyamory and you're hearing people talk about polyamory, a lot of times people will identify themselves by calling themselves poly. And that's not great. Um, so that was a term that was used for a long time and was fine. But basically what happened was Polynesian folks uh, were actually very polite about it and kind of came forward and was like, Hey, We've been calling ourselves poly for a long, long time. We kind of had that word first. Can you please pick another one? Uh, so now what people tend to call themselves is either they'll say I'm polya or polyam. Um, and I myself am still integrating that into my vocabulary. So if I mm. slip up, that's fine. Uh, yeah, but same. for uh, for people out there that maybe hadn't heard of that, that's kind of a new term that we're trying to work in to be respectful of Polynesian folks. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that, Sophie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let, let's talk <laughs> about polyamory as it's perceived in the public consciousness, what it isn't, and um, non-monogamous relationships, non-standard relationship dynamics, which is terms I don't like, but I feel is possibly well, the most concise way to say yeah, it. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up because while you were describing uh, polyamory, um, it made me, bef- briefly before we started recording, we talked about whether I was monogamous or not. And when you described polyamory as essentially inviting the concept of non-monogamy into your relationships, uh, that counts. Basically what uh, it, it it's in my head. I always thought that um, I would be appropriating in some way 
the, the poly people, the polyam people that I know, it's such a huge part of their identity and such a huge need. Whereas for me, it's not necessary, but I'm not in a monogamous relationship with my partner. Um, and I don't, I sometimes find the conflict between what I do, which is fairly common among, uh, I would say cis gay men, um, feels to me quite different from what I see from my polyam friends and what they experience and how they talk about their relationships. Um, but I don't know if that's something you've thought about. Um, I think what I think for a lot of people when they hear people talk about being polyamorous is like, oh, so you have an open relationship or, oh, you sleep with other people who aren't your partner or that's what it's like, oh, so you, so you cheat, so you sleep about, you cheat on your partner. It's just sort of like, mm, you are so missing the point. <laughs> but I do still think that there is this idea about what uh, polyamory is, because in the West, especially, there is this idealised one true love, monogamy is the ideal, devoting yourself entirely to one person, because we are only capable of loving one person. Apparently, I, I yeah. I guess my you know. I don't. <laughs> um, I, I'll be honest. I don't really have any experience, really, as far as knowing what dating looks like. You know, as a as a gay man. So when you talk about the things that a lot of gay men do, I guess I'm not super familiar with that. Um, and it's up to you if you want to go into that more or not. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to call you out. I just, um, no, I just, I, think, I, I genuinely don't know <laughs> what, um, no, I, I, I don't it, super know what you mean by that. Well, no, it's just that I find that what I see a lot of gay men doing is very similar to what of non gay men, polyamorous people are doing. But for some reason, we uh, tend to not share the word i'm seeing it a lot more and i am seeing a lot more um uh gay men identify as polyamorous um it's just that i i i told a polyamorous friend that uh you know about something me and my partner uh did with other people and things like that and she acted very excited like oh you're polyamorous as if like i was coming out but I'd never viewed it like that. I just thought, oh no, I I just thought I was gay, and that's not my own. Bi- <laughs> that's not that's not like my biases. It's just that in her relationship, there's uh, so many, there's so much discussion about rules and like the need, the need for non-monogamy to be happy, and I don't feel that. So this is all just me, me trying to personally work out how I identify. I'm not sure I'm going to find out today, maybe. But, um, yeah, well, I, th- I think that it has different importances to different people, um, you know, and, and even at different points in their life. I remember, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, sexuality was very important to me insofar as understanding myself and and knowing what my sexuality was and being able to have words for it, I remember was a very important thing. 
And I hopped around from label to label because I couldn't quite find anything that fit. Mm. And now as an adult, I call myself queer. I pretty much am attracted to, I don't think there's any gender identity that I'm not attracted to. I think it's, um, that that's just not how I experience attraction. And Mm. I almost never think about sexuality anymore. And not to say that it shouldn't be important to other people or whatever. Um, but it, it, I never even think about it anymore. It's not something that's very important to me. I'm still very queer. I'm just, Mm. I don't really think about it. It's not that important to me. Whereas the topic of gender and stuff like that, a lot of times is a lot more important. So I think that, you know, some, for some people, they feel that, you know, polyamory is a must for them and that it is a huge part of their life. And, you know, certainly I don't quite know if I could do monogamy at this point, not to say that I couldn't be with just one person. I could probably do that, but it would still be a polyamorous relationship with just one person. I couldn't, I think at this point, reintegrate myself into the ideals of monogamy. Um, You know, so it is something that is important to a lot of people and I don't want to diminish it. But at the same time, I think that, um, there's probably a lot of people who do it very casually and for who it isn't really a big deal for. So, uh, just because it doesn't necessarily define you doesn't mean that you can't also, you know, kind of casually identify as polyamorous, um, Not to say that you have to, conversely, no, by no, any means. Okay. Don't, you don't know. Worry. I mean, what you what you're just saying, Sophie. Just, I, I don't like to draw a false equivalency, but it's like um, we've just done an episode on bisexuality, and even if you're in a relationship with somebody of of say of the same gender or with a different gender, you're still bisexual, and even if you happen to be in a monogamous situation, it doesn't stop you being. Yeah, what what you said earlier about it being the uh, ex- like the the willingness to invite that part of your life because I do think for a lot of people it would never cross their mind to not be monogamous. Mm. Um, and part of what I've appreciated recently about polyamory being a bit more uh, uh, visible, I suppose, is more people are questioning if monogamy is actually healthy for them. Hmm. Um, and in in the in the sort of gay world, just to bring it back to my area of expertise, um, <laughs> the idea of monogamy is very heated because for so many people, it's the oppressive heteronormative structure that they're trying to get away from in being gay. Whereas others see it as like the proof that they are, you know, regular folks or whatever. So it's, it's a respectability it, talent. Uh, yeah, respectability yes. politics thing. Mm. So um, that's that's my only that's my point of view on this topic going forward. Is that like I come from, um, I guess, a culture where it's um, has its own kind of baggage. <laughs> this topic, maybe. I mean, just before, because in the second half we're going to talk more about media. Um, we got a good question from Nathaniel. I think we'll save that for the mm-hmm. second half. Um, I totally lost my brain. Oh, I was going to talk a little bit about my feelings about uh, polyamorous. Um, I think I have memories as a, of being young and watching a film that I'm going to mention in the second half of seeing 
somebody have to choose between two people competing for their affections and thinking that was the most stupid thing. It was like, why couldn't somebody Mm. be with two people if they love them the same amount? And I think for me, knowing that I was sort of in in an adult mindset as opposed to going, well, why not both, um, was when I was in sixth form. And um, so that's the last two years of uh, full-time education before like college slash university. Sophie, sorry. I've, I've said six form a few times to American friends and they're like, what are you saying? <laughs> so you're not even in your final form yet. You're just in your sixth form. <laughs> <laughs> There's another evolution to go. Um, but I got into my first long-term relationship, um, happened to be with a guy. And I was also falling in love with my best friend who was, or is, um, a woman. And I remember being at that point in my life thinking I love both of these people so very much. But then there's societal, well, you have to choose. Mm. And there is no which way or the other. You pick one. And let's ignore the whole part where they say that about bisexuality as well. But I mean, I still have a very intense, very deep relationship with my best friend. Uh, We call each other wife. We have since sixth form and I consider her one maybe not a partner very much there is an emotional and spiritual relationship between the two of us uh, that predates my relationship with my partner uh, Graham who I've been with for eight years and recently I have just started a new relationship uh, with my boyfriend Tom and we're very much in the initial flush of new relationship so new relationship energy exactly Mm. that um but it's it's really interesting because he's the first person i've been in a relationship with since i came to understand about being trans non-binary and he's only known me since that so it's different to both of these other relationships in my life and he refers to me as his boyfriend and there's some whole wonderfulness with all of that. So at the moment, I'm very much like, so I'm kind of in love and this is my new boyfriend. Would you like to see a picture of him? He's super cute. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very much in that headspace right now. And I wanted to to share that as we're sort yeah. of sharing our experiences of, uh, of what it is to be polyamorous for us as people. And because I want to tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, do, I mean, do we then, should we have a uh, quick, have a quick break before we talk about how it's represented media. in media, our long time frenemy? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put the kettle on. section of the show where we stop talking about the main thing and start talking about these things yeah we uh we this is a um i don't know i was gonna make some terrible pun but i won't um please thank you please thank you for listening oh dear we're all we're all in odd headspace at the moment um please if you're feeling like you love us rate review subscribe on whatever itunes is great but wherever um 
Would you, Sophie, is there anything you would like to plug? Because this is the shameless plug section of the show. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I stuck my foot in my mouth and kind of mentioned my podcasts earlier, but I'll do it again. Um, so I run the Polyam Radio podcast, which is actually, I'm very excited. We're kind of revamping the whole structure. Uh, it's a newer pad, it's a newer podcast compared to you all. We, uh, we are as of today, 11 episodes in, um, but we're revamping it and giving it some more structure and some more segments. Um, my boyfriend Credence is, uh, gonna, has decided that, uh, they want to be the co-host with me, which is great. Um, and, and they've been on the show before. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just a really, really, really great time. And, uh, we're going to start reviewing books like the ethical slut, which is the book that I read the excerpt from. Uh, we're going to start talking about current events and media. Uh, it's, it's all really good stuff and we're still going to be very advice heavy and content heavy. So if you're interested in relationship advice, that is honestly, I think applicable to anyone, anywhere, uh, you know, good advice is good advice, uh, whether you're polyamorous or monogamous, uh, Um, check us out. We're on iTunes. We're on Google play. We're on everything. I think, um, not like Spotify, but they're not interested in uh, yeah. younger podcasts. Um, um, I'll, I'll, I want to shout out to Polyam Radio as well. Um, I'm a supporter on Patreon. I came across the uh, the show on Twitter and was like, hello, yes, relevant to my interests. And I've really enjoyed uh, listening to the show and definitely have like taken a lot of the advice to it to heart, although I'm say, a little older. Um and I say a little, and I mean a little, but <laughs> it's still very informative and useful. Um, I mentioned my my boyfriend, Tom, he lives in the Czech Republic, so we've not met in person yet. And it's sort of, I've definitely taken a lot of the advice to heart and uh, Sophie and Mara and Credence and the guests they've had on have all been such lovely folk and it's really good listening. Well, thank you. Really appreciate that. You know, I uh, I have made a lot of mistakes over the years, and that means that I know exactly what not to do with relationships, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think that I've experienced a lot, and my partners have experienced a lot, and when there's a topic that we don't know as much about, we go out and find someone who knows a lot about it. Uh, if people mm-hmm. are familiar with the kimchi cuddle web comic, um, the author of it, Tikva Wolf, uh, has experience doing polyamorous parenting and was a guest on our show talking about it. And that was just, that episode was a blast. The audio was knackered, uh, as I believe <laughs> you all say, as according to Dr. Who. Um, but <laughs> That's my experience with British culture right there. I'm, uh, oh, fine. Digging myself <laughs> that, that deeper. Sums it up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um but uh you know uh we we try to have a well-rounded advice and a well-rounded show and I'm glad to hear that you enjoy it. The other one, I don't know if 
uh, if you've gotten a chance to listen to Dungeon and Queers, it's an all trans fifth edition D and D sesh, and it is awesome. Uh, lots of trans characters. Um, basically, um, we have a party of it, it's kind of a group of little bit of misfits and ne'er do wells and stuff like that, but they're all extremely lovable. And, uh, I'm very excited because we've got quite a backlog made and just knowing, you know, knowing what's coming in the story, I'm, I'm very excited for you all to hear it. So I hope you go and check it out, even though we've only got a few episodes released. Yeah, I, I listened to Session Zero earlier this week and I was just like, oh, these characters sound amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited to get to know them. So. Yeah, yeah, me too, honestly. <laughs> uh, but if nothing else to plug, no, should we no, finish I'm the beverages good. and get back into uh, the fun stuff? I said, no, this was fun too. The other fun stuff. So, going back to what we're talking about, um, Nathaniel on our Facebook group asked a question, which I feel we is a good jumping off point. Um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the topic of love triangles in mainstream media and how social stigma against polyamory prevents storylines that would explore these relationships in any other ways that the standard combative, uh, any other ways other than the standard combative choose aside. Uh, there are so many other ways it could go. Um, let's talk love triangles. <laughs> let's talk love triangles and how I hate them. I hate I, love triangles. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask a question then to, to the, to the panel, so to speak. Um, I hate love triangles. Would you prefer, uh, for it to go down a polyamorous route that's just very flippant and easy, or would you prefer the media in question to like tackle the own like actual nuanced experiences of polyamory because i often see people say oh why can't they just choose both and i'm like that would be literally the most surprising thing to ever happen in like a mainstream action film that you're talking about i approve but also yeah like representing a polyamorous relationship it might be more Um, to make it authentic more nuanced than just having them all be happy i think it depends um, and Sophie, please feel free to weigh in and disagree with me as much as you like, because I like a good discussion. Like for a film that maybe ends with people getting together, I would quite happily like the notion of three people exchanging heated kisses as the sun goes down behind them and walking <laughs> off into the sunset hmm. elbow and elbow, because that's as deep as the relationships get in those kinds of films. Hmm. And I think just the nature of not closing that opportunity off just like these people went through this very intense thing together and they're going on into the future together whereas in like a romantic comedy or a romantic drama then you would have the space to explore what it means to 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 explore polyamory so it would depend on the genre but i'm generally of the opinion that why love triangle when you can polyamory? And it's not a perfect solution because people are people. Mm. But that's my general feeling. Right, yeah. I I agree on very nearly all points. I think that the genre uh, that you're talking about matters a lot here. You know, mm. like you said, if it's an action movie, like, um, you know, I'll just use Rogue One, where the romance 
in and of itself was so forced to begin with and mm. not needed to the you know not necessary to the plot anyways i'm perfectly fine with them having a very vapid uh representation <laughs> of polyamory uh you know but if it's as you said a romantic comedy there's no reason for everything to be perfect um yes. you know i actually think that you know something that would be extremely compelling is uh you know you mentioned that uh, Hamish, that um, it would be an extremely uh, kind of um, surprising way for a movie to end if it's like, nope, I'm choosing both and we're all just walking off or whatever. Um, I think that even if a movie kind of began that way with like, mm. you know, an a- even if it was an action movie or something with like, no, we're just going to make this work and then seeing kind of the trials and tribulations that they go through as part of it and everything, because, you know, if you don't have conflict in media a lot of times then there's no stakes right it's not interesting um and so just to say like well why can't they choose both well the reason that's given a lot of times for that is that you know it makes it uninteresting because there's a lack of conflict yes but you know let's say you know just to use our action movie example i'm not a writer i'm I have trouble writing D&D campaigns. Uh, but let's say that, you know, these these two people fall in love and, you know, the person A brings them back to their partner and is like, look who I found. And it's like, yeah, it's not a problem that you met someone, but I'm like 90% sure that they can't be trusted and they're here to like infiltrate our organization and everything. <laughs> and then you, yeah. And then you have like this tension the whole time of like, this person's really likable and I want to like them, but I don't really trust them. And the audience is sitting there wondering the whole time, what's their real intention? And you're going back and forth. That sounds like an extremely compelling media to me. I'm into it. So you have to be creative and come up Mm. with new ways of creating tension. Yeah. But the love triangle is so tired. You know, there's, there's this great movie that I don't know. It's, it's an animated movie. It's called book of life. Have you all heard of it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. Um, And basically the, the premise of it is there's this, uh, there's this little girl, and she exists. And that's basically all the character development that goes into her. Um, and there's the entity of life and the entity of death. And they're having an argument. And for some reason, they decide to settle it by each choosing a boy from that girl's village who is also her age and being like, I think this one will be able to woo her as they get older. And I think this one will be able to woo her as they get older. And it turns into this competition and one is like more romantic and one is more machismo. And like, there's this whole competition and like you have adults, gods who are like settling an argument by like, hitting literal children against each other and like trying to force them into relationships and stuff like that. And it's the weirdest thing ever, you know? And so like a movie like that could conceivably end with being like her being like, no, I'm going to choose both. And then being like, Oh, we were both right because it's revealed at the end (laughs) that they're like a married couple or something, life and death. So, you know, there's, there's things you can do, uh, Mm. You just have to like be creative, and a lot yeah. of times the whole love triangle thing really, um, how do you want to say, really hurts movies. That having yeah. been said, I 
can think of a few movies that, in my opinion, would have benefited from a little bit of a love triangle, uh, which I can't believe I'm saying. The the term Uh, love triangle isn't very accurate. It's like a triangle implies that there's mutual attraction all the way around it. Um, Yeah, fair. Usually it's just like, you know, which will she choose or which will he choose? Mm. Um, Right. And like the idea of actually the two ones that the person is choosing between end up liking each other more Mm. and getting together. I just think we we mentioned it actually last week in our uh, bisexuality episode, like not representing these things is just cutting off potentially very interesting, Uh. like dramatic ways to take the storyline. Yeah. Um, right. I suppose we could move on to the discussion point, which is sort of portrayals of uh, polyamorous relationships in media, ones we liked, ones we hated. Um, also limitations, because this is something I've noticed as we've sort of been discussing. It always tends to be the specific kind of like polyamorous relationship dynamic. It's nigh on always a triad. Like if we see it at all, it's like three people all feeling the same way about both people and like that's just one small facet of what polyamory can look like so because most of the most of the polyam folk i know maybe things started like that but it's more complicated like that like i know some people with some very elaborate polycules like so and so is dating xyz and y and z are dating each other and also are dating two other people mm. so, the word i heard the other day for mm. polycules, which is just a group of, or, or I shouldn't even say a group of people who are dating, but it's a network of people where some of them mm. are dating and it's, it's basically the web of who's connected and how they're connected. Mm. But I yeah. heard a word I really liked the other day and it's relationship constellation. And I just oh, really like that. That's yeah. lovely. Um, so what actual specific examples have you seen? Um, one, I will do a shout out cause it's what I referenced in my title is in Leverage and it's the relationship between Hardison, Parker and Elliot. And for a lot of the series, it's Hardison and Parker sort of there coming together as a relationship and Elliot is there as a friend to them both as, as the story goes on. But as the series part, the seasons pass, we see Elliot's relationship with the two of them deepen and the trust is like uh, becomes deeper and a lot of their interactions with each other are mirrored. Like Parker treats them both the same way. Elliot is as protective of each of them. And spoilers for Leverage, a series that ended years ago, um, ends with... Elliot saying to Nate, who led their group, and he and Nate asks Elliot, um, "Are you going to be okay?" And like Elliot says, "Without you, I wouldn't have found them." And looks over at Parker and Hardison, and um, and he, one of the others like, "Will you protect them?" It's like till my dying day. And if that don't sound like some sweet ass <laughs> wedding vows, I don't know what does. But somebody tweeted uh, John Rogers afterwards. After the series finished, just like I can't remember what exactly their question was, but and he literally just said, "We made the OT three canon," like, and it was his intent 
that it be seen that way. And if it had kept on going, there would have been more explanation of that. But I've got a whole PowerPoint presentation from a convention <laughs> I went to selling this relationship and why you need to see it. Mm. Um, if you watch one episode, you can watch the rundown job from season five. And there is this moment where the three of them are breaking into a house, disabling a bomb, and you are looking at the three of them going, there is no way the three of you aren't having sex. <laughs> I mean, really? And it's wonderful. And this is like, an, this is a, a, a black man and a neuroatypical woman, and they love and support each other. And it's, it's very good. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and smile happily for a second. But also, that is largely subtext. And if you don't want to see that, people probably don't. And mm. for all that there is this wonderful emotional intimacy at the, at the close of the season, it's not necessarily an on-screen thing. So, eh. Um, Sophie, do you have examples that spring to mind? Yeah, I've got I've got two. Uh neither of them well, I suppose one of them is one of them is in a movie that actually hasn't come out yet. Uh but neither of them are probably going to be what I'm going to call great representation. Uh mm-hmm. probably closer to the opposite. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> something worse. Uh but there's still representation. One is, uh, if you're familiar with the show Parks and Recreation. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, in, I believe, season two, April Ludgate, for a brief time, is polyamorous with... I was going to uh, use this example, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's played off as a joke because she's like an edgy teen and Leslie doesn't understand her. And she's like... Mm. you know, one of them is gay for the other and the other is gay, but he's not for me. And, you know, we get drunk and kiss and like it, the line is delivered very fast and it's not really meant to be taken seriously. Um, but at the same time, the relationship did exist in the canon of the show. It wasn't just April messing with Leslie. Um, Mm -hmm. and the relationship eventually breaks up because those two are tools, um, <laughs> basically, and uh, and and uh, April gets involved with Andy Dwyer, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. and it just becomes this whole thing. But there's, I wanted to bring it up because there's this, there's this idea of polyamory being like this young, new, modern thing that you know the real adults don't really understand, and it's it's so confusing. And why can't we just be normal? And it's pretty problematic. Um, and then the next, uh, example, as I mentioned, it's in a movie that hasn't yet come out. So I might have egg on my face when I say that I don't think this is going to be the best representation ever. Mm. But, um, in the new Deadpool movie, Deadpool two, there's, um, one of the superheroes that they're bringing in is a, I believe bisexual polyamorous guy. Um, and I don't know how they're going to handle that. Uh, I think probably the Deadpool movies aren't known for their tact. Um, (laughs) you know, so it's probably going to be their representation of his polyamory is going to be that he's 
a big slut, just like uh, the representation of Deadpool being queer is that he's relatively maladjusted and feminine and sexually very weird. Uh, not to say that I don't, I don't have a hate of Deadpool. Deadpool's fine. He's just not what I'm going to call the perfect bisexual representation. And, you know, no, you can I send agree. me hate mail about it or whatever. I don't care. Uh, no, I, I you agree. Know. I, I, I find it slightly annoying when uh, characters like Deadpool who, yes, they are, you know, um, bisexual or whatever, but it's exclusively used by almost always straight authors to make jokes. And um, it's to make them edgy. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a, it's coding him as being kind of crazy and unpredictable. Yeah, that Wade Wilson. He yeah. loves, he will have sex with anything. Um, right. It, it's like, the Jack Harkness problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two more examples of canonical uh, polyam relationships. One, I need to watch. I've been yelled at by various friends. Uh, and we mentioned it in the bisexuality episode. Uh, Black Sails. I can't speak to the quality of the representation, but my understanding is there is more than one polyamorous <laughs> relationship on the show. There are bisexual men. There are women together, women. And my understanding is it's actually very well handled. Like a lot of my queer and polyam friends have raved about it. So hearing that part about black sales, I, I was already mm. like, oh, there are bisexuals. Oh, I'll have to look at it. And then I heard, oh, there's polyam relationships. Okay, I definitely need to watch it. Uh, so I heard good things about that. The other thing is the Netflix original series, You, Me, and Her. Uh, you, Me, Her. I believe it's a Canadian-American co-production. And I watched all of this and it involves a married couple. And I can't remember what the circumstances are that lead to it, but the husband hires an escort uh, with his wife's full knowledge. I think. Either way, the way, the way things start, it's not great. And it shows a lot of the mistakes and bad ways to go about uh, polyam relationships. But the show acknowledges mm. that this is not good behaviour. But as, as the season goes on, uh, both the husband and the wife fall in love with this, with this woman. And it's sort of like them exploring the new relationship dynamic and what it means for this married couple who've known each other, obviously, for a very long time, to have this young woman come into their lives and their feelings towards her and her feelings towards them. And each of them are all given weight within the story. And it was... I felt like they were trying to do right by Pollyann people. And while they did make maybe some mistakes, I do think it was... So admirable of them to try. Mm. That sounds faintly condescending. It's um, sometimes hard to write dramatic television about messy relationships hmm. and also try and kind of like educate about a pretty marginalised aspect of society to like sort of be both hmm. uh, popcorn television and not feel like a kind of infomercial. <laughs> uh, I don't know, yeah, I think... When 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 something isn't represented very much, very few things are going to be able to cover it completely uh, soundly. Um, welcome to a gay corner with Hamish. Uh, <laughs> I love gay corner. Basically, I, I was just going to mention that 
almost all of the shows about gay people have handled the whole monogamy issue. Mm. Um, it's sort of too numerous to really mention examples because more often than not, um, the plot line is, we're gay, we don't need to be heteronormative, let's um, experiment, blah, 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 blah. Um, but coincidentally, every single show's couple finds out it's not right for them because the audience can't really feel satisfied if their, you know, one true pairing who are supposed to end the series together keeps sleeping with other people. Um, and that's really annoying. And it's, it's very frustrating because a lot of these shows bring it up and have like quite a healthy idea early on, but then for whatever reason, it always has to go wrong. A show doesn't end that way. Yeah. Um, a, a, a series I've mentioned a few times that I do really like is, uh, is Please Like Me, um, about gay Australians. <laughs> um, and they did a lot of that. They, 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 the, main, the main sort of ongoing couple aren't monogamous, um, and it does cause issues, but they continue to be throughout the series and it's not the reason why they face big problems. And it, it's not like they end the series being like, I'm so glad that we didn't go down that road any further. Um, and that's just the kind of way all gay television seems to go. <laughs> it's very annoying. Um, yeah, I suppose we've talked about some like canonical examples, but uh, I thought a fun subtopic and this may or may not be related to what the title of the episode ends up being, it's sort of like, what do you mean it wasn't meant to be seen that way? Uh, sort of subtext that's so loud it might as well be text. Um, you mentioned the Book of Life, uh, Sophie. I know a lot of people watched that film and the fan art and the fanfic I have read would definitely agree with you on... Um, because the two male characters have got such a wonderful, intense friendship as well. Like, mm. it didn't seem like to be much of an intuitive leap because the three leads as underwritten, as you rightly point out, as um, I cannot even remember the character's name that Zoe Saldana voices, which is probably very telling about it. But the, uh, the example I wanted to cite was Road to El Dorado. One, I love that movie. Two, it gave us the quote used by many a person like myself of both, both, both is good. <laughs> <laughs> a gift to all of us. Um, but the original script very clearly sort of implied that Miguel and Tulio were a couple. Uh, it was edited down, but uh, Kevin Clyde and Kenneth Branagh have talked how they basically played it as yeah. if the two of them were a couple. And then they meet Chell, who... Um, Miguel seems interested in when they first meet because Miguel is basically the bard of the two and we all know how bards roll when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> and um, but we also see as much as you can see in a children's movie that Chell and Tulio begin a relationship I think it goes a little further than what you can show in a kid's film. Because... It kind of does. I mean, I've never seen something come quite so close to showing oral sex in a kid's movie before <laughs> yeah. Like, where she sits up from, it's like, she was not kissing his face. Yeah. But kids aren't going to recognise <laughs> that, even if adults are. Um, but the end of the movie is the three of them heading back to Spain. Hmm. And, like, 
I don't know how else I was supposed to read that. So like Chell is joining their duo and their duo is now a trio. Yeah, it's one of the few times when the introduction of a female character as a love interest doesn't feel like a kind of uh, cock-blocking sort of... No homo move. No homoing. Well, and I feel um, like that's how it was intended, you know, when mm. you watch it. It just mm. didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> they tried, but no. Everyone yeah, was... All the actors and everything were so committed to those two characters being together that it mm. just made it, you know, uh, more risque, you know, not yeah. not less. And I love it. That's it's mm. it's one of my favorite movies. Mm. Same, same. So good. Um, another film, I'm not entirely sure because I've not watched it, but I know a lot of people cite it, is a film called Bandits, which has Kate Blanchett rocking some red hair and as looking as amazing as Kate Blanchett usually does. And I think it's Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton are the uh, titular bandits. And I think they end up kidnapping her. And we see her sort of falling in love with both of them or both of them falling in love with her. And I think the film ends with her joining their little crime group mm. and the three of them go off together into the sunset. Excuse me, as it were. But are there any other films or books that you've, seen or read that's just like I don't know whether they did mean for this to be read this way but I am definitely reading it this way I mean projection is a thing but <laughs> I um I sort of have one mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily one where it's quite like El Dorado where it's like as, as you said subtext that's basically text yeah. Um, but it's a movie I think would be, I think it would be improved, not just because my gay little heart wants it, but because I think it would make more sense if yeah. there was, uh, this beyond monogamy relationship, um, mm. you know, uh, and, and this might be contentious because Star Wars fans are awful. <laughs> um, mm. but actually like. Episode three, to me, makes more sense, or would have made more sense, through the lens of polyamory. First Mm -hmm. off, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the most amazing character in, like, ever fucking written. And Ewan McGregor is the most amazing Mm -hmm. actor, and I'm absolutely Mm -hmm. in love with him. And, like, if I could wave my magic wand and make one person on Earth polyamorous it would be fucking him because he's married and has a beautiful family um (laughs) but um you know anakin is horrible and Mm -hmm. treats padme amidala like shit um Mm -hmm. even in like the books like there's this whole like the like there's this whole part of it where she is a fair bit older than him and he is really young and immature and just a a little dweeb. Um, mm. And mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi's character is not much older than Padme Amidala. Uh, he's like six years older than her, I think. Uh, mm. And like 10 years older than Anakin, I believe. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's that whole line on the, on the lava 
Mustafar planet um, mm-hmm. where he's like, I loved you, you know, and I hate you. And there's that whole thing. <laughs> From but, my point of view, it is the Jedi who are evil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, there's um, there's this book that was written by one of the writers of the Clone Wars animated series. Um, and I forget her name, but it's, it's called... Um, Clone Wars, uh, I forget, I forget what the fucking book's name is. I have to, I have it right here on my shelf. Um, but basically there's this whole part where after episode two, Obi-Wan knows, like he figured it out and he went to Padme and was like, this has to stop. It's called Star Wars, the Clone Wars Wild Space. I believe that's the book. Um, but he basically was like, this has to stop. This is a problem. You know, you're going to get him kicked out of the Jedi Order, blah, blah, blah. And like Padme and Obi-Wan, to a degree, almost start this weird relationship. Like, even though she hates him for doing this, they have this rapport that is so unusual in Star Wars and that you really only see from couples. Um, it's it's the whole Finn and Poe problem. It's not mm-hmm. that they're close and that they're men it's that men in star wars aren't close like the Mm. the closest thing that you have to men being friends in star wars is like harrison ford being like you know well i guess i'm not gonna let luke die you know and that and that's (laughs) that's the most intimacy you get that's why it stands out um so i guess to me george lucas's shitty writing makes more sense through the lens of queer polyamory. Uh, It's absolutely not canon. And, you know, he's probably going to send me a letter bomb for, you know, (laughs) spouting out this fan theory. But I personally think the, the, the story there in that movie makes more sense. If there's Mm -hmm. more love interests from different characters and, that having been said, I also think the prequel trilogy would have just made more sense if it was about Obi-Wan instead of Anakin, but that's like an entirely different story. <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to mention one character I read as polyamorous, and that is Sailor Moon. Um, yep. Because yep. in, especially in season one, she um, has a little bit of a, like, ooh, which boy should I choose kind of storyline. But in her imagination, she's never actually conflicted about choosing. She constantly talks about how amazing she is, that she has two amazing guys in her life. And she's always talking about how in love she is with both of them. And she often has these like fantasies about being married to both on the same day. And like, it's, it's (laughs) never a like, Oh, but what will he think of it? It's always like, uh, there's genuine like images of her, like hand in hand with both of them. Just like, Oh, I'm so lucky. Um, (laughs) on top of the fact that she's in love with like all of her teammates and, um, when, uh, Uranus and Neptune join and they're very openly a couple, she's like really fascinated and into like, (laughs) Oh, like she kind of wants in on that. Um, again, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to read any of this. Um, there's lots of kind of cultural Japanese Mm -hmm. elements that I'm not clued into about the way girls are written to be kind of like uh starstruck by older girls but mm. um when i watched it and i was watching the like old 90s dub and it didn't mm. 
it like definitely didn't erase any of this element. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, they were the cousins and, you know, mm. they removed all the other sort of queerness, but... Um, there is no denying Sailor Moon's thirst. Sailor Moon has a lot of love to give awesome. um, and will not be sated by one individual. Uh, before we take a trip to my other favourite corner, Imagination Corner, which we haven't <laughs> been to in a while, um, one other sort of subtext is text. It's actually a classic Hollywood movie, uh, Singing in the Rain. If you watch that, and I need to watch it, I've seen it like disseminated by other polyam folks going, look at this, look, <laughs> look, are you seeing? Look at the thing. But like the relationship between, I can't even remember all of the characters' names because I'm I'm bad at this. But the movie ends with like this, I think it's Debbie Reynolds' character kisses Gene Kelly's character and it's very sweet and romantic and we've seen Gene Kelly's character and the other guy have a very close relationship. And then Debbie Reynolds kisses Cosmo, who is just like overcome by this being kissed. It's just like they have all these wonderful numbers where they dance and sing together as a little trio. Mm. And it's like... I don't know if it's as close as Hollywood comes to give, offering us a subtextual kind of thing or whether, again, it's a let's introduce a woman to reduce the no homo factor, where if that just didn't really work. Yeah. And just thought, oh, so we're just adding a lady to the mix. Sometimes. Um, but yes, I will watch Singing in the Rain eventually and then uh, we'll proclaim loudly on the internet just like, why aren't more people talking about this? Can I say one final thing? No. <laughs> well, please, I think please this do. discussion has shown that you do have to kind of scratch a little bit to find mm. representation of this. And it's so confusing because I can think of how interesting this can make any story. Um, That's because th- polyamorous people are basically better. Well, it, <laughs> I think it's the it's just the assumed like squeamishness and like the mm. the idea that people won't understand. Um, but anyway, I work at a animation studio that also it's kind of like an advertising studio and so a lot of advertising scripts come in and what have you um as the most vocal queer in the office when adverts with a slight queer element come in they often get me to read it to see if it's problematic um and an advert came out which you can look on youtube now um for rouse honey i know this one um and in the script, it plays on the whole Goldilocks and the Three Bears idea, uh, but the Three Bears are gay bears who live in a cottage in the woods together and <laughs> chop, they like chop wood and make recipes with honey. And when the script came in, they said, this feels really offensive. And I was like almost in tears reading the script. And like the only influence I had is like, you have to get gay people to play this and, you know, gay triads of numerous you will be able to find people to play this but like they it's a whole advertising campaign there's a number of adverts and you can if you just search for youtube like three bears honey or rouse whatever it's really clear that they're all in love with each other and there's kind of like a main host of the show and there's because all the adverts are kind of like a weird cooking show um and they ride on like bikes together and they all are like hugging each other in jumpers and stuff. But the main host will be like, oh, and this is exactly what you love the most. And he like gives them a hug and then the other one will go, oh, and it's like, oh, I love you too. Don't worry. And it's like, it's very advertising. It's very like played kind of for laughs. But 
it was so touching to me that any mm. corporation wanted to advertise their food products with like polyamorous gay people. Um, that's awesome. And I know that's like <sighs> the whole issue of like, you know, uh, uh, pink capitalism or like mm. uh, they'll only get us in adverts when it's profitable um, but that's a kind of just conflict of being part of an animation studio uh, like an advertising studio constantly where you're like the people actually making the adverts generally are directors who really want to do put some good into the world but the you know downside is it's usually for a giant corporation okay. I can't believe it's taken this long for any company to capitalise on three bears and having gay guys in the <laughs> Yeah, like... <laughs> that seems like a waste. That seems like a really missed market. Um, anyway, I just thought it was quite sweet because a lot of gay representation in advertising is heavily, like, we're just like, you know, everybody else and we have arguments because we're in a monogamous relationship as well and we want to get married and stuff like that. And it was really nice to be like, no, this is kind of like a really specific gay... Uh, or like a kind of a queer type of relationship that seeing it represented in an advert so normalized was like mm. quite shocking to me. But anyway, I, you know, I, I agree with Jade. Uh, I can't believe it's taken anyone <laughs> that long to, to go. What? There's three bears that live together. And someone's like, no, 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 you don't understand. And they're like, forget it. I'm writing it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, a shout out to a great line in um oh what was um oh no i'll uh, come back to you no no, no 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 i'm so close i'm close so close what was the name of um b arthur's like sitcom before golden girls i wouldn't know anyway there's a line in that where uh she's talking about um fairy tales and how like uh, she's talking to a homophobic person and he's like, you don't hear that in like fairy tales. You don't see gay people in fairy tales. And she goes like, you've read Snow White. And like, <laughs> <laughs> um, the idea that the dwarves are just like a bunch Seven of gay guys. living together. Like, <laughs> I buy it. I think that's true. I'd like to take it back. That's what I'd like to submit as my subtext. That's basically text. Snow uh, <laughs> White. Beautiful. Um, but let's 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 stop by Imagination Corner, a friendly place where anything is possible. And let's talk about some of our favourite polyam ships in in things that we watch or read. And um, it isn't canon. It might never be canon, but we watch it and or read it and go, you guys, you three, you four. You more, please. Um, I'll just quickly say that I'm a big, you know, Finpo supporter to the day I die. I think it should happen in a way that's not, like, shippy nonsense. I think it's, like, you have an opportunity to change the world kind of way. Uh, that said, none of the, like, Finn ray interactions bother me. It only makes me kind of... <laughs> um more into that kind of uh relationship um but again we're talking very very like triady um mm. but i just think there's certain characters with a lot of love to give and i don't like closing any doors to them um two i'll mention one i know i'm not alone in this but the cool kids from steven universe 
<laughs> uh, sour cream and Jenny and Buzz. Mm. Um, just the three of them hang, always never seen out of each other's company. I like that thought. I like mm. that thought a lot, especially uh, in a kid's show. Um, one that is a, a, I'm a fan of, I've mentioned Friends at the Table a lot. Uh, their current season, Twilight Mirage. Uh, they're sort of loosely referred to as Ground Party for very different people. And I'm a big shipper of the Ground Party OT4. But now that they've merged the characters, I'm quite happy to think about all seven of these characters in any myriad of connections. Like like you were saying, like a relationship constellation. It's a sci-fi game. There's magic. I like the notion of these seven people that are on a spaceship together having all kinds of wonderful relationships with each other. So, but uh, Sophie, have you got any uh, polyam ships? Oh boy, um, you know I uh, I'm trying to think. I guess one thing that always made me sad. Um, have you seen The Breakfast Club? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that the pairing up there was weird, uh, where it's like. Yep. Okay, um, I can't remember the actress's name, but uh, Little Miss Pink Perfect ends up with um, the Mm -hmm. Bender and uh, the jock ends up with the goth and, you know, Emilio Estevez. Um, And then you have that Brian kid (laughs) who's Mm -hmm. just sitting there on his ass alone. And, you know, they, they all had this great, emotional like coming together um Mm. that you know i just it especially when it's it's very much left ambiguous at the end as if any of them are gonna kind of remain to be friends as a group because they so don't fit together um Mm -hmm. you know it just it seems to me like he got out of that day with relatively little compared to the rest of them and, uh, you know, I just think it would be really cute, uh, to see like, I don't know, some sort of, some sort of polyamorous action there, even if it's not like, you know, uh, how do you want to say, um, like a, a five-way polycule or whatever. If, if it's just like somebody's like, oh yeah, I also think you're endearing at least, mm-hmm. you know, or, or something. It just... You know, he's he's got a very compelling character and like yeah. nobody cares because there's two mm-hmm. girls and there's three guys and he's not as hot. And it's like it just makes very little sense that he would be written in there the way he is, I guess. And and not that everybody needs some sort of love interest or whatever, uh, but it just, you know. I mean, I, I guess you could also headcanon that maybe he's Arrow or whatever, but I don't yeah. like the idea of every geeky person who the writers don't give a partner to just being like, oh, well, they're Arrow. It's like, well, anyone yeah. can be Arrow. There's Arrow people from, aromantic people uh, from yeah. all walks of life and of all yeah. different like body types and ages and levels of yeah. geekiness and everything. Hmm. You know, so... Uh, I guess that's something that it would have made me happy, you know, if if sure. next time I watch that DVD, I catch something that I missed and I'm like, wait a second, it's canon. Um, but um, uh, I guess I don't have 
a lot of other, you know, favorite ships. I'm, I, I tend not to ship as much as even I wish I would. Yeah. Um, I just, this, I, it just happened very recently and it really made Hamish laugh and it was very on brand thing for me. Um, ignoring the myriad of issues I have with Pacific Rim Uprising. And I have many, um, <laughs> We have the character. We have Jake Pentecost, who has this sort of fractious relationship with his former co-pilot Nate. And when the film happens, we see Nate seems to have this vague, flirty relationship with a with a Jaeger tech called Jules. Mm. And then Jake starts flirting with her. And then there's this moment before the final mission where Jules kisses Nate on the cheek, and then kisses Jake on the cheek, and then walks <laughs> off. And Jake is just like, "Well, that's confusing." And then I, quite loudly, went, no, it's not. <laughs> because Jake had, having already in the movie, described his, uh, described Nate as, oh, he's so stupid. He's not even sexy. What am I saying? Of course he's sexy. Mm. Or something along those lines. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was very on brand in that moment. Um I wanted to mention uh, on our Facebook group, we had a few suggestions of headcans, but also some um, some good representation. Um, Paul said that the character of Andrisk in um, Becky, Chamber- Becky Chambers' Wayfarers, Wayfarers. <laughs> trilogy, it's a book series, I did Google it, um, has good non-monogamy sort of... Uh, representation. Someone else suggested um, Fluorite, the character from Steven Universe, who is uh, the giant caterpillar gem, who is uh, a relationship of numerous people. Um, and then uh, Jack said uh, they had kind of Amy Pond as polyamorous from Doctor Who. And that actually uh, made me realize that uh, I think River Song kind of counts because, in this kind of Jack Hartness way, you never know where the line is. To represent her because she's kind of, you know, zany. But she's married to the Doctor, but married to other people as well and happily dates other people. And I think, like, going into a kind of time travel relationship, you kind of have to be accepting that yeah. you'll be able to have romantic relationships with various people in various time periods. Yeah. Um, Just to mention another OT3 of mine is the 11th Doctor and the Ponds. <laughs> Just those three my heart however you contextualize their relationship the three of them together and then they released like photos from when it was the pond's wedding day of the three of them together in their formal wear it's just like this could be three people that got married it would <laughs> mm. be so lovely um yeah those are things i could i just wanted to mention from our group um but we seem to be talking for a while yeah now. maybe we should stop talking <laughs> Um, as, who knows? Who knew you could uh, talk about this for so long? If only there was a podcast where they talked about this every single yeah, week. Yeah, if only there was a podcast where people talked about polyamory every episode. <laughs> um, we'll give a shout out for that in a second, but I'd just like to say uh, thank you for all of the uh, Facebook submissions on our Facebook group. Uh, it's a really good place to have discussions with like minded, queer, and geeky folk. Um, but you can also get in t- contact with us at boxnotincluded at gmail.com and boxnotincluded on Twitter and Tumblr. Or you can contact us directly. I'm at Hamish Steele. I'm at Jade Oxford Rose. And Sophie, you've got a couple of Twitters, haven't you? Yes. Uh, I don't have a uh, a personal one at this time. I was thinking about making one at some point, but um, I, I'm already on there too much. Uh, I run the <laughs> Polyam Radio, po- uh, not the Polyam Radio podcast, 
uh, the Polyam Radio Twitter and the Dungeons and Queers Twitter. It's at Polyam Radio. Uh, so Polyam and then underscore radio on Twitter and then at DAQ cast uh, Dungeons and Queers cast. Um, so that's how you can reach out to me. And then if you end up listening to any of the podcasts and you want to send me a kind of a more private or a longer message, uh, you can, our emails are on the cover art for each, uh, the, the email for each. So each cool. show, wow, I can talk today. Um, but you'll be able to get in contact with me that way. Marvelous. And, uh, finally we want to thank, um, Graham Waller. Audio Overlord, Master of the Soundwaves, for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. And thanks again to Sophie for guesting with us today because this was really good fun. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, thanks I for having like, me. We all learned a lot and became better people because of it. <laughs> um, but until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. I'm Sophie Lesname Redacted. And don't let anyone box you in. Mm-hmm.